Good morning, everyone. I'm glad each one of you are here, um, at least watching on, on uh, your screens. I have a few announcements I'd like to make. And uh, one is that just because we're not meeting, it doesn't mean that the church doesn't uh, need your tithes and offerings. And so for your tithes and offerings, you can either send them to the church, 1 Calvary Road, Kirkville, New York, 13082, or uh, we're trying to set something up on uh, our uh, webpage that you can make donations there as well. And so our, our website is up and going. We're still working on it, but it's up and going, and everything you need should be found there. And one of the things I'd encourage you to do as well is to at least check out our uh, Bible studies that we have during the week. On Tuesday, we have a women's Bible study, and they're covering the great book of Ephesians. And on Wednesday, we have our regular Bible study, and we're covering 1 John. <clears throat> Excuse me. And both these studies are 7 o'clock. And if you wanted to join uh, in those studies, you need to have Zoom, which is a free download. You can go in your app store and download it. But then if you go on our website, which is BereanCalvaryChapel.org, BereanCalvaryChapel.org, there's an actual place where it says uh, Tuesday Women's Bible Study and the Wednesday Bible Study. Just click on it, and it'll give you all the information you need in order to join us. And... Um, one of the things that we want you to realize as well is that Pastor Frank and I and Vi and Nikki, we're still your pastor and your pastor's wives. And if you need us for any reason, call. And either we can talk on the phone, we can Skype, or even, even get together. Because we still are here to pastor and to minister to you. And um, also... Um, we're going to start, hopefully this week, Chuck's going to help me uh, learn how to put a blog on our, our website, and Pastor Frank and I will be uh, putting blogs on there of encouragement, and uh, spiritual encouragement during this time. And uh, one of the things that we talked about was the fact that next Sunday is communion, and obviously we're not together, but what Pastor Frank and I are encouraging you to do is let's still have communion together. So I, I would ask you to go out and maybe make sure you have some fruit of the vine, some juice, and uh, some bread, unleavened if you have it. And we'll actually serve communion here at the church, you know, to one another. And you at home, the head of the family, if there's no husband, then the mom, that's fine. The head of the family will pass the communion out to the um, rest of their family, and we'll take it together. So we don't want to miss out on that um, you know, that meal that God has given to us to share until we eat it anew with him in heaven. And uh, also, I want to mention the fact that um, my book uh, is out, and on our website, you can just click in order to purchase it. And the title of the book is The Book of Revelation Made Plain and Clear, which is very relevant to the times in, in which we're living and just for your awareness, I'm not trying to just promote the book. The first thousand copies, if we ever sell that many, uh, the royalties go to the church. So um, if you're able to, we encourage you to, to pick up a copy of the book. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we realize that you alone are able to give salvation to the lost. You alone are able to give us the encouragement that we need during difficult times. 
you alone are able to take us up, to meet you in the air when it's time for the rapture, and if we die before that, to be present with you. You alone, Lord, are the one who is able to do all these things. And so I pray, Father, that you would come and meet with us this morning, encourage us by your word, and help us to draw ever closer to you. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, um, today is what we call Palm Sunday, as most of you are aware of. And it's the time that Jesus presented himself into the temple area, came into Jerusalem, into the temple area, as the Lamb of God. And um, it's interesting to note that Jesus Christ, being the Passover Lamb, presented himself into the temple area where he was examined for four days. Now, what's interesting about that is that as far as the sacrifice of the Passover lamb by the Jews, the lamb was observed for four days to make sure it was clean and pure before they sacrificed it. So that's a very interesting uh, correlation that you see there. In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and verses 12 through 13, it says this, The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, talking about the Passover feast, um, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So they recognized that when Jesus was coming in, that he was the Lamb of God. They were recognizing that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Passover. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, it's the first time we hear of Jesus being called the Lamb of God by uh, uh, John the Baptist. And so in 1 John 1, 29, it says, The next day John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, Now understand that word behold is a very bold word. It means behold. It's not just, hey, take a look. It means look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How amazing. He's not just a lamb that was to be sacrificed for the sin of the people of Israel, but for the sin of the whole world. And John again in that same chapter, in verses 35 through 36, says And again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, what's so amazing about this is this lines right up with present-day Passover. This week, Wednesday, is Passover. And it lines up exactly because Jesus would have come in and been observed for four days On Wednesday, when the Passover lambs were slaughtered, he would have been crucified and put to death. And then on the first day of the week, he arose from the dead as the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of all the world. So it's very interesting that this year, that everything that we have in the New Covenant lines up with the Jewish tradition of Passover. Very interesting. Now, these same people who cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, just a few days later would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And you know, the thing that's interesting about that is people so often respond to circumstances. There's a lot of excitement. 
You know, wow, look at here comes, this is Jesus, this is the Lamb of God. John testified he was the Lamb of God. All this excitement. And then when circumstances turned around and everyone was going against Jesus, so did the populace. And so many of those same people that were waving palm branches, proclaiming him as the king of the Jews, were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. And so for you and I as believers, we should not allow our faith to be changed by circumstances. But we should remain solid and strong in the midst of persecution, in the midst of death, and even this coronavirus. I think all of you would agree it's different. Something has happened in the world. This whole virus, uh, I'm 75 years old and I can't remember ever in my life, a time that people were quarantined as they are now. You know, you're visiting us online, and it's just an amazing time in our history. But yet, God can use it. There might be a lot of diabolical minds out there that want to use this for their own purposes and benefits and for their own profit and and maybe even evil, I don't know. But the fact is, God, he didn't cause this. But God obviously is aware of it, and he is using it for his purposes. I think we're seeing families drawing closer together. I believe a lot of the trinkets and and all the luxuries of this world have kind of lost their luster. People are more concerned about, you know, mankind, and many people are actually coming to the Lord through this. It has sobered them, has opened their mind, because it made them realize that nothing in this life is lasting. Nothing. Your wealth, your looks, nothing in this life is lasting. The only thing that is lasting is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so I think the Lord is using this to to open people's minds. I think it's changing their faith in the sense of helping them to realize the circumstances do not have to take away from the blessings of God. In the midst of bad circumstances, we might see the blessings of God going forward more than ever. And so I encourage you, you who are believers, use this time to minister to your unsaved family and friends and to encourage them in the Lord. Because just like we're going to be looking at in a moment, uh, in, in this portion of numbers that we're in, uh, we're going to be looking at the fact that Korah, he rebelled against God, and God brought discipline on him. And the reason Korah rebelled was because circumstances had changed. They were all excited about going into the promised land and possessing it and, and having you know, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then, of course, we all know about the spies that were sent in. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, brought back a good report Ten brought back a bad report. Now, it's interesting that the ten who brought back a bad report, they did say it is a land flowing with milk and honey. But whenever someone puts a but in there, uh, that's not a good conjunction. They said, but there's giants in the land, and, and there's no way we can overtake them. So the people were forced to remain wandering in the wilderness. And so Korah and his family caused a rebellion because the circumstances had changed. No longer were they going to be marching right into the promised land, but wandering in the desert. And so they became frustrated and angry, and they rebelled against God. They didn't rebel against Moses. They rebelled against God. And we're seeing situations arise in our nation, in our world, I think, that is showing people where their mindset really is, where their heart really is. 
whether it's truly trusting the Lord or whether this world is really going down the road of paganism. Let me give you a simple example. In this present situation, the coronavirus or COVID-19, we have to realize that it is not surprising to God, not at all. And yet, we as believers cannot allow us, cannot allow it to um, cause us to fall to fear where we're not useful to the Lord. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what God has given us. We shouldn't not only not be fearful, we have to have our wits about us, have a sound mind to use it for his benefit. Now, in Luke 18.8, it says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? And the reason I read that verse is I honestly believe that we're living in the last days. No one knows the day nor the hour that Jesus is going to return, but Jesus commanded us to not be like children in darkness. We're children of the light. We should know the day. We should know the season in which the Lord is coming. And I believe all these things are pointing us to the near return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to keep a heart of courage, not of fear. Again, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, and verses 26 through 28, it says, Men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things, listen, begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And so we have to realize that with all these things happening as believers, we lift up our head. We don't fall to fear. We lift up our head knowing Jesus is coming back. Because one of the things that we have to realize as believers is that faith and fear are at apogee with one another. That means they, they cannot ever come together. They're complete opposites. And so if we have faith, we can't fall to fear. And believe me, it's, the world is trying to put us in an attitude of fear with all of this. I mean, you just think about the fact that they're uh, limiting people, going into grocery stores, and, and uh, schools are closed, and so many things are happening, you know, social distancing and, and so forth. It's really causing people to be filled with fear. But we as believers have to reject fear because we have faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe God is using all of this to really work in the heart of believers to maybe reinvigorate us and encourage us to realize what's important. Well, what's important is to share our faith with our lost family, with our lost friends. We can't hold back any longer. We don't know when the Lord's coming back for his church. So we need to be out there sharing our faith with all of our heart. And um, I think, as I mentioned, we're brought to the point of making this same choice as the children of Korah. Are we going to be fearful and turn away from God and his promises? Or are we going to be steadfast and turn to, to the Lord? And um, let me just share something with you that I think is very interesting. That we all know, that's why we're on the air, churches are closed by this world system. And yet, abortion clinics remain open. 
In this nation, the coronavirus, COVID-19, just in this nation, has taken about 7,600 lives, where abortion clinics take 900 lives a day, or about 27,000 uh, a month. And 60,693,971 since uh, the um, abortion was legalized in 1970. And so what we have to look at is how are we going to respond? Are we going to be like Korah? Or are we going to realize, no, we've got to follow Jesus. Because those statistics that I just read are showing us that this world is ripe for judgment. God is coming back to judge this world. And before he judges this world, he's taking his church out. Pray that you're counted worthy, Scripture tells us, to escape all these things that are going to happen on the whole world. And he is going to call his church out before he brings his judgment because we're his bride. And when we look at statistics like I just read, how can we not realize how ripe this world is for judgment? Think of how... I don't know, uh, cold our hearts have become, or, or just, you know, we just don't pay any attention. Everybody's all shook up over the COVID-19. Oh, we can't do... And yet, what I, the statistics I read to you about abortion, the number of deaths related to abortion, uh, pale the coronavirus in comparison. It's amazing. In 2017, the leading cause of death in the United States was abortion. So we have to understand that we need to get our, our hearts open and, and, and really alive for the things of God. I mean, this world is cold. This world has completely rejected the Lord. But it's an opportunity for you and I to be sharing our faith. And we're going to see an example of this in uh, Numbers chapter 16. And I'm going to read verse 11, and then I'm going right to verse, verse 15, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 27. But I'm reading 11 first because it gives us the foundation of the whole portion I'm reading. Therefore, you and all your company, talking about Korah, are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? So this portion tells us, that the whole thing Korah is doing is they're gathering together against the Lord. Now, they didn't think they were, but everything they were doing was against God's command. And it's just like I was talking about earlier. Probably a lot of the people in this world wouldn't say, well, I'm, I'm, against, I'm not going against the Lord, I'm not going against God. And yet the very things that they practice and follow demonstrate that they are going against the Lord, even hate Him. And so we have to be open and, and learn a lesson from this portion of Scripture. In verse 15, Then Moses was very angry, and he said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. So in other words, I don't know why Korah and this whole congregation is coming against me. I haven't done anything to them. All I've done is lead them and intercede for them on the Lord's, on the Lord's behalf. Verse 16, And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron, and let each man take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron and each of his censers. So in other words, not only Korah, but all the leaders of the family of Korah. So every man 
took his censer, put fire in it, and laid incense in it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meetings with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation together, listen, all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meetings. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourself from among this congregation, that I may, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they, that would be both Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose, and he went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart. From the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. You see, it's not enough just to notice that there is sin in the world, but we have to separate ourselves from it. Otherwise, we might be partakers, you know, in their judgment as well. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out uh, and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their children. So, as I mentioned, verse 11 tells us Korah was actually um, rebelling against God, and he was not believing what the Lord had said. Remember, the Lord had given Korah and his family great responsibilities to handle all the, the vessels and instruments of the tabernacle, all the sacred things. But God said, I'm taking Aaron... And his sons to be my priests. And that wasn't good enough. Korah and his congregation, they had this great responsibility, but no, they wanted to be priests as well. And so we have to realize that what happened here is Korah was filled with pride. And what does scripture tell us? You know, pride comes before the fall. Anytime you find yourself prideful in any area, you can be sure it's going to lead to a fall. And as we mentioned, this rebellion was not really against Moses, but it was against the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord was not in their hearts, nor did they believe in the purpose of all God's plan. I mean, God laid out a plan very specific. He had a very specific order. Who would be the priest that would take the offerings before him? And who would be those that would carry the sacred articles of the temple? Who would carry the outer curtains? I mean, he had a very specific plan and specific order for the children of Israel to follow, and they weren't happy with it. They wanted to change the order and understand they're, changing, they're, they're attempting to change God's order. God had made a decree the way it would be. Now, so therefore, the fear of the Lord was not in their hearts. You have to understand that. Nor did they believe that what God said was really true. If they believed what God said was really true, they just would have gone along with it. They rebelled against him. Now, the censer represents uh, the fragrant offering of prayer to the Lord. And if they, and, and it's interesting because Moses tells, tells them to fill their censers, put fire in it, put incense in it, which represents prayer before the Lord, and bring them, all 250 of them, before the Lord. And the thing that's interesting about it is if they were really in prayer, they wouldn't have rebelled. 
So here they are bringing their token offerings of prayer, and they really weren't in prayer. They really weren't before the Lord. And how do we know this? Because prayer, brothers and sisters, is our most intimate fellowship and time of worship with the Lord. It's our most intimate time. Because it's a time that it's just you and the Lord. Even if you're praying in a group, it's you and Jesus. It's our most intimate time. Now, here are some of the things that Scripture tells us about prayer that I think all of us should consider. And uh, write these down. I'd encourage you to. In Psalm 66, verse 18, it says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Wow. Proverbs 15, 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Again, in Proverbs 28 and verse 9, If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. In James chapter 4, verse 3, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Again, in Isaiah 1, 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are full of blood. And then in Job 35:12-13, he does not answer when men cry out because of the arrogance of the wicked. Indeed, God does not listen to their empty plea. The Almighty pays no attention to it. And the reason I'm sharing I shared all these verses is for us to realize we can't be living as the world. We can't allow ourselves to be uh, you know, involved in sin and think that we can go before the Lord in prayer. The only prayer the Lord really hears of someone who's steeped in sin or, or whatever is, is the prayer of repentance. Even if you're steeped in sin or you're an unsaved person, you cry out, forgive me, Lord. He will. He hears that prayer. But when you're making prayers about life and intercession and so forth, who are you? You have no relationship with God because sin has separated you. Even as believers, you know, when we're saved, we're saved and we're going to heaven. But even as believers, if we want to go before the Lord in prayer and lay our heart bare before him, we better make sure the first thing we do is confess. First thing we do is, Lord, forgive me a sinner. And the wonderful thing is, he does. And one of the things I noticed in this portion, too, is that Korah wasn't content with his own rebellion against Aaron and Moses. He had to whip up the whole congregation, all of Israel, against him. And that's the way it is with some people. If they want to rebel against the Lord or rebel against anyone, it's not enough just for them to be upset and approach the person and say, this is my, you know, my disagreement. They have to whip the whole congregation up in order to come against the Lord. But the thing we have to understand is that men like Aaron, who's called to be a priest, Moses, who's called to be the leader of the people, men who are called of God, this is going to sound silly, but men who are called of God are called of God. And the reason I say that, it is not something, it's not a position you can be voted into. It's not a position you can strong arm your way into or even be educated into. But you're called of God. For instance, as pastors, um, Pastor Frank, 
Jr. and I, we don't think we're better than anyone, but we've been called. The only thing that sets us apart isn't how holy and righteous we are. We're no different than anyone else. We have the same struggles. We have the same infirmities that we deal with, and we have the same need to be on our, need, uh, on our knees in confession and repentance as anyone. The only difference is we've been called. Because you have to understand, just like with Korah, anyone who bullies their way into a position of leadership, that's how they'll lead, by bullying. And the Word of God makes it very clear that spiritual leaders are to lead in humility, not with that kind of arrogant attitude. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 and 31, it says, The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so we have to realize, you don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God, either do I. And therefore, we always have to have a heart of repentance. See, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I'm not naive, and I don't think any of us go day after day without ever committing a sin. We're just so holy and perfect. We never make any mistakes. I know all of us fall to sin every day, whether it be in our thoughts, uh, you know, in our deeds, or whatever. We, f- we fall to sin. But what makes a Christian, a true Christian, different from an unbeliever or even from a, um, a cr- Christian who isn't really following closely with the Lord is we're ready to confess and repent. Oh, God, forgive me. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I thought that. God, forgive me. Please cleanse me. And he will. And he always is giving us that fresh start. It's just a beautiful thing. And um, we have to keep in mind that these men, these men were destroyed. These men who were destroyed were, the, were leaders in Israel. But they weren't content. Think about that. They were leaders in Israel. They had great responsibilities, holy responsibilities, but they weren't content. In... Um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I love what Paul writes here. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Now that I speak, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Every, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to, be, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do, but look at, look at where it ends. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of people know verse 13 and they have it you know, memorized. I can do all things through Christ who strength, strengthens me. But you have to put it together with the previous verses. It talks about we have to be willing to be content, whatever our situation is, whether we have a lot or we have nothing, whether we're suffering or whether we're feeling great. We have to have that contentment in the Lord. That's when we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, again, if you want to turn in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 through 31, it says, The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's the mistake Korah made. We want to stand before the Lord. We want the Lord to judge us. Well, the Lord did judge him. And it was horrible. We're going to find out next week. It was horrible what happened to the family of Korah. But they were demanding to be judged by God. You know, so often you have hear people use the little cliche, God knows my heart. 
Well, the reality is, of, of course, God does know your heart, but that doesn't make an excuse for the sin in your heart. He does know your heart. And that should compel us all the more to confess and repent you know, of our sin. And um, in Hebrews 13.5, I love this, Hebrews 13.5, Be content with all such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What else do we need? He himself, Jesus Christ, our Lord God and Savior, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What other comfort do we need? Because think about this. If you have Jesus, if you're born again and you have Jesus and you love him, you can wave the palm branches high over your head. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. You have no branches to wave. You have nothing. Because Korah wasn't content and everything he had was lost. But with us, godliness with contentment is great gain. It gives us everything. And so we have to understand that the only possession we have that is eternal, the only possession we have that can't be taken away, that we can't lose, is our salvation, our relationship with God. And so if there are any of you who are listening right now and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior, you're not born again. Or there might be some of you who are saved but need to pray out, cry out in confession and repentance. But those of you who don't know Jesus... I think so often people are led to believe that becoming a Christian, being born again, requires special classes and all kinds of, of liturgy and doctrine and, and so forth to, to be memorized. But here's the reality. Giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ is the most simple thing you can ever do. It's just a matter of confession. Now, confession requires an admission of guilt. I don't know about you, but when I came to that place that I cried out to Jesus, I knew I was guilty of a whole lot of things I wouldn't even want to talk about. I knew I was guilty. So confession requires an admission of guilt. And so, Lord, I confess all my sins. Then the next thing we do is we say, we cry out, God, forgive me. Forgive me, a sinner. And here's the amazing thing. He will. First John 1, 9, you know my favorite verse, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. But we can't stop there. Now we need to say, God, come in and take over my life. Come in and take over my life. Because what purpose is there in you being forgiven of your sin, committing your life to Jesus, if you're not following Jesus and being used of Jesus everywhere you go? And so if you are watching and you have never been born again, just do those simple things. Confess you're a sinner, ask God to forgive you, and to take over your life. And for those of us that are saved, this is such a time that maybe the Lord has prepared for us. The, the world is in a, a state of, of, you know, it's, 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 it, there's no, it's just flux all over the place. It's just waving all over the place. It doesn't know where it's going. This is the place that some kind of stability needs to be shared, and that's Jesus Christ. So we need, need to take opportunity to share our faith, to encourage people in the Lord. Because here's the reality. Jesus is coming back. And like that verse I read earlier, when he returns, will he find faith on earth? Well, I hope he finds our faith. I hope he finds us being faithful 
and looking for his return. We don't want to be like the five virgins. Remember, there were ten virgins, and all ten of them woke up. But five virgins didn't have extra oil. And Jesus came, and they were left. We want to be like the virgins who have the extra oil, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, that when Jesus comes, we can say hallelujah and be taken up to be with him forever. And even if we die before Jesus returns, to be absent from this body, we're going to be right with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, the truth we find in it, and that you have given us this great gift of being able to um, preach our messages over the airways, so that even though we're not with our congregation, our fellowship, who we miss so much, how we miss seeing all their faces, Lord, but yet you're able to keep us together in this way. And so I pray that you would bless each one of them, encourage them where they are, keep them strong in you. And Father, I pray that you would um, bring those who are listening who aren't saved to salvation, that they would commit their lives to you and be born again of the Spirit. And so we pray and ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.